awesome. Well, this is not like a manual talk. Like this is not about telling you the this is if you do this A, B, and C, you're good to go. Obviously, um, just because daughters are unique, fathers are unique. The father-daughter relationship is very unique. So Jeannie and I are both history teachers, and so as we were kind of brainstorming, of, we, we both brainstormed independently, and then we got together, and it just so happened like everything that was coming out was just anecdotes and stories, because I think that's how we relate, and that's how we tell. Sto um, kind of, we like to show, not tell. Um, so it's not meant to be like prescriptive at all. Um, and obviously, like the, I know a lot of things I'm gonna talk about are totally unique to my family, um, but hopefully there's just some things to glean from it. So um, if you've met my dad, many of you probably have, um, he's a man of few words. Um, he always said that he ran out of words quicker than my mom. My mom like never runs out of words. <laughs> she could talk forever. Um, so in thinking about my dad, I was really struck by the fact that it was um, his example and his time growing up that has made me kind of really see him as a role model in my life. In middle school, high school, I love my dad a lot. It's only really though in like later years that I've looked back and really understood the impact that he had in forming though. So if your 15-year-old daughter does not know how awesome you are, that is okay. <laughs> um, so he taught me through example and time. So kind of two, I tried to pull out kind of two life lessons that I gleaned from him, from him um, and just some anecdotes to kind of go along with it. So the first, that I, first thing I learned from my dad was work ethic. Um, so I'm one of 10 kids, I'm number seven, and um, my dad is an incredibly hard worker. Like I said, man a few words sometimes, but through his example of his work, um, I just learned that myself. He really instilled that in us. Um, by way of example, my dad, from when I was probably five until maybe 15, had a paper route. Okay, so he delivered the Washington Post. Um, and I mean, this involved getting up at 4.30 a.m. It was like super cold. I can just, I have this vision of like coming down and he, got his, he has his tea in hand. The man does not know what a travel mug is. So he's got his actual mug of hot tea. Um, and every day for eight or nine years, he did this paper route. Um, and I didn't know any other dads that did something like this. This was like super, like none of my friends' dads had a paper route. So I was kind of aware even then that it was pretty unique. Um, and in, in a way, it could be like a really seemingly menial job. Like here he is, he's a Harvard grad, he has his MBA, and he's doing a paper route in the morning, day in, day out, Christmas, Easter, all the days. Everyone wants their paper. Um, and I could totally see how it would be, like he could have easily seen it as it was below him or beneath him. Um, but his family needed him to do it, just to make ends meet, and so he did it, and he did it super well. Like, um, the neighborhood was kind of like, we were on the wrong, side of the, the wrong side of the tracks, and he was delivering the Washington Post to like the right side of the tracks, um, to like where Manor Country Club was. Um, and Jerry Hadley was like a hero in Manor Country Club for like nine years, because the man was just steady. He's super steady. He delivered the paper, rain, shine. We have so many stories of like snowstorms where he's trekking down by foot to deliver people the newspaper. Um, and so that just, I didn't realize, but that was something so small, seemingly, um, that became a super, super, I guess, formative and integral part of my childhood. Um, mostly because actually every day you got a day. So, 
um, basically of all like well at that point there were there were seven working labor labor age children and uh, seven days of the week so perfect um, everybody got at least a day uh, to come and wake up with dad and uh, deliver the newspaper so that involved we had a van that didn't have any seats in the back and you get the del papers delivered to you every every day in the morning and you put them in the back and you'd sit in the back um, folding and uh, and stuffing and then throwing them up to my dad at the front and my dad had the manor route memorized it was like throw skip skip throw <laughs> skip and then by the time you were finished packing in the back you got to go up front and you got to help him with the throwing um, so you know for for eight or nine years one to two days a week my dad was coming into my bedroom and waking me up to do the paper out with him um, and this kind of I guess had a couple effects on me the first was you didn't want to disappoint him, not because he would be disappointed, but because if you didn't wake up because you were lazy <laughs> or you were tired or whatever it was, you knew that he was going to be doing it on his own. And if he did it on his own, then it took him longer. And it was just, I don't know, there was just this drive to like want to get up to be helpful to him um, and to kind of serve him in that way because he was obviously serving our family in that way. So I was, I'm actually kind of a morning person. So I, I very few days would actually uh, would skip out. Um, it provided us with, um, this kind of sounds weird, but it provided us with a way to like make honest wages even when we were 10, 11 years old. And so when it came time to buy things, um, my parents, usually what they did was they would make us, you know, they might pay the first 30 or $35 if we needed a new pair of tennis shoes, but if we wanted anything beyond that, then we had to cover the difference or something like that. So it was really helpful to have actual, a way to make money. Um, and they and so we was paid. It was not we were paid laborers. It wasn't slave labor. Um, and, and he would pay us out at the end of the month. And uh, it was just a super important way for us to make money as kids. And then also just the time spent. Like my dad knew what each kid liked. So I cannot. My dad loves classical music. I cannot stand violins that early in the morning. Um, and so on my day, my dad played oldies, and we would jam out to oldies. And it's freezing because you have to have the windows open. Um, but just, I think back to like all those hours. My dad had 10 kids. It seems like it would be really hard to spend individual time with each of his kids. Um, and this was a unique way to do it. <laughs> um, but it, it did mean that, you know, once or twice a week, I was spending two hours with my dad, just me and him. Um, and that was just invaluable. It was, it was so important. Um, so the last day of papers, I don't know. I don't know. Kids just graduated from college. I don't know why he, had, he got to stop, but he got to stop one time. And we all went, and he was doing the paper route with my brother John. And we all got out to the end of the paper route. It's like 6 in the morning. We had this huge kind of banner across the street. He comes over the ridge, and he's like, what is going on? I'm like, drive through the banner. And he like drove through the banner. And then we all went to IHOP afterwards. And um, he gave paper plate awards for like, you know, uh, most difficult to wake up, like all like, and we just laughed so, so hard. So like this kind of weird thing that could have been a really kind of seeming like demeaning job, he just did it well and it provides to this day stories for our family that are just really, really uh, important. Um, kind, of, kind of related is uh, to, with this idea of work ethic is that we didn't go on vacation every year. Um, we just like, we weren't a vacation family, but we, my, my parents saved, and three times we went on these epic RV trips out west. Um, and I mean, they were epic. The first one, I was turning 10 years old, it was 24 days 
two RVs out to Wyoming and back. Um, and those trips were so incredibly formative for all of my siblings. Like it started our love affair with traveling, with the West, with, with um, just being with each other. I mean, what a great way. Um, so I, I appreciate that because, well, <laughs> this is kind of random. I was not planning on telling you this, but um, we helped pay for it because we had this thing called the college fund. The college fund was not a college fund. We got, we got taxed for all of our work. Like, so like if we babysat or if we earned any money, there was a, a white teddy bear that was the college fund that we, um, I, uh, five or 10%, I can't remember the number. There was no policing of my parents involved because that's why you have siblings. That's where all the policing goes down. And um, that money was used for like big family purchases, like um, the if we needed a new computer or whatever kind of these bigger family purchases. But they also went to these trips. So it was just this kind of cool thing where I knew my dad was working so hard. Those were really incredible trips to plan and to obviously execute and pay for. Um, but they were, they were just awesome, totally awesome. So like I said, those are two very unique things that seem like they would just, I don't know, they're just my family. But I'm sure you guys are doing this in your own way too, of just trying to find unique ways to spend time with your daughter and show her um, what it means to work hard and the benefits that come from that. Um, and then the second thing was uh, I learned from my dad was a focus on others through generous acts of service. My dad's very much kind of an acts of service kind of guy. Um, and so I think that starts in the, it started in the family, this focus on the, his family. I remember being like 11 and being a kind of a punk and being like, Dad, do you love mom or me more? And like without missing a beat, he was like, your mother is better for you that way. And I was like, okay. <laughs> um, but I mean, he didn't even have to think about it. It was just like so clear. So I guess like focus on, his focus on others, it started with my mom. That was like top tier. Um, but then obviously, um, it that like I guess next would be us. Definitely focusing on, focusing on us and like I said, finding unique ways to spend time with us. So like I love yard work. I love being outside. And so my dad was always inviting me to come out and do yard work with him, change the oil. Like my dad's the kind of guy who like will fill your car up with gas before you go on a trip and not mention anything about it, but it's just through the acts of service. Um, the, the, the catchphrase he always told us, maybe you have this like one of these with your daughter, but uh, when we were playing sports, he always said the thing he told us. And if you called up any of my siblings right now, they would be able to finish the phrase. It was fight fiercely, but don't hurt them. <laughs> so imagine like on the, on the sideline of a soccer game, fight fiercely, <laughs> Megan, but don't hurt them. <laughs> it's like, what kind of rallying cry is that? Um, <laughs> but I just think it, like, it, su it sums him up so well, because it was this idea of like working hard, fighting, a fierce competitor. He was a college athlete himself. Um, but this also, this kind of emphasis on putting people first, so like not at the expense of people, um, that has kind of carried through with me. And it's a little, it, it goes through my head still to this day. Fight fiercely, but don't hurt them. Um, and then just by way of example, two small random little, I, mean, I could talk about my dad literally all day. So two little random snapshots um, that have shown me that he not only focuses on my mom and focuses on us kids, but also on just those around him. And they seem so small, and one's from a really long time ago, one's from more recent, but um, they just stuck with me. So the first one was, I probably was 14 years old, and it was really, really cold outside. And we were driving somewhere, I think maybe, I don't even remember, I don't even remember where we were driving. So we're driving, 
And it's one of these bitterly cold days. And we drive by a bus stop, and there was a guy standing there with a coat on. He looked so cold. And my dad pulled over, and he said, where are you headed? And the guy was like, the Metro. Um, he didn't speak very good English. And I said, hop in, right? And he drove him to the Metro. And I, I, that just stuck with me. I was like, how many times have I driven by someone and just have thought, oh man, glad I'm not that guy. <laughs> like, it's cold outside. Um, but just that little thing I remembered, and I just was in the back seat being like, whoa, my dad is like a hero. That's amazing. Well, he's a hero to that guy anyway. Um, so that was a long time ago. The other one was more recently. Um, does anybody know Jason's Deli in Falls Church? My dad loves that place. It's got free ice cream. Um, <laughs> and so we were sitting in there um, just a few months ago, and there was this little old lady and her husband sitting in the, in the seat next to us. And um, they got up, and the little old lady came back, and she looked like she was looking for her husband. She looked a little bit confused, and so we thought her husband had gone outside. So I hopped up, spirit of service, and I opened up the door for her because she looked too frail to open up the door herself. And um, she went on her merry way. She starts to cross the street. Um, and then two minutes later, her husband comes up. He was in the bathroom, and he's like, where's my wife? And I was like, I think I just let her escape. <laughs> like, ah! Um, and so he was very flustered himself, and he just he really wanted to eat his piece of cake, but his wife had was making a beeline for the car, and she was like 95 years old. And so he, he leaves, and he goes, he goes outside. And so there's these big glass windows at Jason's Deli. So we're kind of trying to eat our meal, but we're trying to continue talking. But in, out of the corner of our eye, we can see kind of what's unfolding. The man is trying to convince his wife to come back inside. And she is flat out refusing. She says, I have gotten out here. I'm not going back inside. It took me a lot of energy to get out here. And so eventually, he kind of comes back and he grabs his cake and he goes back out to the car. So they're there. and. It, it's, it's at one of these super busy, crazy, inter, uh, crazy parking lots. It's a tiny parking lot, cars every which way. And um, we, we just know this man is never going to get out of this parking space. He himself is like probably 90, 95 years old, very frail looking. We're trying to continue our conversation. And out of the corner eye, we see his brake lights and him kind of like, back up and then get nervous, and then back up again and get nervous. And we're trying to converse. We just can't. Everyone, everyone in the restaurant is like, oh my gosh, they're going to die. Like, they're going to pull out, and someone is going to hit them. Um, and while the rest of us are thinking, oh, this is terribly awkward, my dad just gets up. <laughs> he goes outside. It's like a terribly busy parking lot. He gets in the middle of the parking lot, stops traffic, and he's like telling the guy to come out. He's telling this guy to stop, this guy to stop. He's helping him pull around. And um, the, the couple gets out unscathed. And he walks back in. We're like, thank you. Oh my gosh, thank you. Because we were all just felt so awkward. Well, by the time we left the restaurant, two different people had come up to my dad and said, we were all watching, like, thank you, basically. That was like a good deed you just did. Um, and it was just reminding me, like, my, my dad is a man of action. Um, when it comes to the service of others, and uh, that was pretty inspiring because we were all thinking it, but he did it. Um, so I guess bottom line, you matter for your daughter a lot. Um, I think personally the two, the two keys are, are time and example, <laughs> and I think that that can look a lot of different ways depending on your job and your family life and all those sorts of things. So it's not kind of a, a one-stop a one shop. Um, but, but you matter a lot, especially because sometimes there can be a rub with adolescents and moms. 
Um, and not to say that you and your wife aren't a team, but sometimes this is where you can really shine. Because, <laughs> uh, I mean, I even actually got along pretty well with my mom. But I know that sometimes daughters, at like, you know, seventh, eighth, ninth grade, things can get a little bit, like, tenuous. Um, and so don't tap out. I can think, hmm, that seems like not my domain. Like, it's absolutely your domain. So that's, that's what I got. Good. Okay. Um, I wanted, first I wanted to say it's such a privilege to be speaking to all of you guys because I've mentored your daughters, I've taught your daughters. You guys are the all-star team anyways. You could be up here giving this talk. So it's, it's really just so beautiful to see all of you here and to be with your daughters because you guys do a beautiful, beautiful job and we benefit from that. So thank you. Um, okay, a little bit of my family's background. I'm the oldest in my family of nine children. There are four girls and five boys. So Megan's got kind of the, the bottom end perspective, the seventh of 10. I've got the oldest. And our kids were very, especially the oldest seven, were in seven years, so very, very close together. So I was realizing, especially when I was talking to my younger sisters, that a lot of my memories of my dad are very much childhood memories. It was my dad being a dad of children, less so a dad of adolescence. And it was really funny talking to my two youngest sisters because their memories are much more of a dad of adolescence. So I'll try and tailor my anecdotes. Um, the other thing is my dad, so he's a lawyer. He's a lawyer in a very big law firm. So he traveled a lot. He was very busy. Um, so just to kind of give you, I don't know, a, bit, a little bit, like that's where I'm coming from. So one thing I was thinking of is with dads, there could be a spectrum, I think, of overbearing on the one hand, and maybe too sentimental on the other. And what I don't think is what you're going for, quote unquote, is the middle. Because there's something about that, just that idea of middle, of that's mediocre. You don't want to be kind of in between two things. So I was thinking it's not a matter of being, of hitting the happy medium. It's more, OK, overbearing is kind of the negative aspect of a good thing, which is high expectations. You want to have high, my dad had very high expectations for us. And the, the sentimental dad is a negative aspect of a very good thing, which is being an affectionate dad, which my dad very much was. So high expectations, but affectionate. And it's funny, because when I was talking to my sister, saying, I'm giving this talk, tell me what you think. Um, it was individually, because those were all individual phone calls, one sister said um, he combined toughness with tenderness. And then another sister said he had high expectations, but he wasn't a dictator. Then I was talking to my aunt about her father, and she said he loved, it was love with discipline. So all of these are kind of capturing that, the, those two aspects that are so important, high expectations and affection. So I thought I'd start a little bit with affection. My, when I think about my dad, the two words that come to mind are exuberant enthusiasm. My dad had exuberant enthusiasm for us. Because by temperament, he is a melancholic. He is kind of the textbook classic melancholic. Um, and he's actually introverted, which we never really knew because he's not introverted at home, but he hates parties, which is really hard for my mom because she lives for parties. And my dad will refuse to go sometimes. <laughs> she doesn't like it very much. Um, but with us, he was, with us, he was exuberantly enthusiastic and with, just with his own passions. Michigan football, and exuberantly enthusiastic, turtles. So, and he brought us into those quirky passions. Um, one way he showed us that he was 
enthusiastic about us is the way he greeted us. Uh, so all of us have nicknames that totally developed organically. A lot of times it's what the baby, the youngest, would call the older sibling. So I'm Dee Dee at home because the kids couldn't say Ginny. And so every time I walk into the kitchen or into the room where my dad is, it's Dee Dee. But it's very exuberant and enthusiastic. And my sister said the same thing. You know, see Molly girl. It's, it's those nicknames, but said with a lot of enthusiasm just when we walked into the room. Um, each each time. And when I went off to college, I went to college locally, and so I'd come home maybe every other weekend. And then it kind of evolved a little bit into Dee Dee home. And so every time you say, can't wait for, it became a noun, can't wait for Dee Dee home. Uh, but just, I knew that I was loved. And sometimes it was songs like, uh, do you guys know that song, Valley Girl, she's a valley girl? Kind of old, uh, old song. Um, but my dad changed the names to Molly girl, she's my Molly girl. So that when she walked in the room, he'd sing her song, and he'd sing the song for the, for the girls and for the boys too. He cared about what we cared about in a very detached kind of way, and none of us could really put our finger on how we did it. But for my sisters, it was sports. They were very, very athletic. And he went to their games, and he was so, he was so excited when they did well. And even when, because I then moved to the East Coast, and I'd call home. He said, Therese, she's just, she's such a good, she's the whatever position on baseball, and she, she can do a three-pointer. He was excited about it. It wasn't that she, that he had these expectations that he had to meet. It was detached in that sense, but he was excited. And for me, it was choir and singing. Sing, Dee Dee, sing. And he just, so I knew that he loved what I loved because I loved it. He also, he, he took us seriously in conversation, especially um, intellectually. He loved to talk about, he, he was interested to know what we got excited about in school. And he, my dad's a very smart man. Um, so in a way, it kind of feels like well, we weren't telling him anything new, but he would be so interested. Really? Tell me more. It was just, it was the, in his voice and his enthusiasm when we would tell him something that we were, excited about. That's so neat. That's kind of the <laughs> intonation he would do when we'd tell him something. And then Megan and I were talking about this when we were brainstorming, because we found that it was true of both, about both of our dads, that we were his hobby. Neither one of us, we said, our dads didn't play golf. I don't have any memories of when my dad got home, he was home. He was, whether it was at night after he got home from work or on weekends when he was home, but he was, I don't have a memory of him kind of pulling away to do his relaxing or to do what he said was fun. And Megan was saying she doesn't remember her dad. Her dad didn't watch sports, kind of like him vegging on his sofa watching sports. That my dad, I think especially because he was gone so much, when he came home, I think he was, he was giving my mom a break. And again, this is my, my more childhood memories because my memories of weekends were totally dad-centered, and so it, right after breakfast, okay, boys and girls, what are we going to do today? We make our list of what we're going to do, a couple projects, and then some fun things. I have no memory of my mom being anywhere. <laughs> and I, it didn't even Boy. occur to me that she was absent or that that was weird. But looking back, I realized, I'm sure she was in bed <laughs> with a book and a Diet Coke, and he was just giving her a break. So that was weekends and evenings. My mom was out of the picture, and my dad took us on, and now, that I'm working full time and I get home and I'm exhausted and I'm realizing my dad got home and he put forth more. And it, 
I'm, I appreciate it so, I didn't appreciate that at all when I was young, but I appreciate it a lot now, now that I'm working and I get tired after work. Um, yeah, so chores, just projects, he would bring us in. So washing the car was, yes, we get to wash the car today, because we'd all get around his car and be washing it, and he'd be spraying, so we were the soapers and he was the hosers, and then every time he would come around and start spraying us with the hose, ah, we'd run around and hide. So he just, he made everything fun, planting, okay, gardening, he loved to garden. Today we're going to plant a tree, today we're going to fertilize avocado tree, or, and just, and he brought, he brought us into his projects and made it really, really fun. So, and we laughed a lot, and that's where the family stories come from and the family culture. Because I know my dad, one thing he thinks is very important is a strong family culture. That you want to have a very strong family culture because that's going to be your child's antidote to the other influences that are competing um, for her virtue, morals. Um, and it was funny talking to my sister Molly, who's super, super sanguine, had really good friends, very popular in high school, but she said, on Friday nights, I wanted to be home. Like I knew the most fun what we had was as a family at home, and that's a good thing that I want to be home. That's really where I'm going to have the most fun. Yeah, I can go out to a party, I can, but I want to be home. And we did. We went out to parties and stuff, so it's not. Um, <laughs> but the most fun we had was with our family. Um, this is where she tells you she was raised in a compound. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and it's funny because my memories in high school as we got older, because a lot of these are childhood memories. In high school, we had a lot more homework, so we weren't doing those same weekend all-together plans. Weeknights was the same thing, so my memories in a way faded. It, just, it was a lot of homework, and my dad, grades were important to him. And so I was trying to ask my sisters, like, how we knew grades mattered, but how was it not the pressure of grades? And we, we can't really figure that one out. But um, he was very proud of us when he saw us studying. And I remember one thing, because I was definitely, was, is a big procrastinator. And so, of course, I was studying late at night, but it's not because I had been studying for hours. It's because <laughs> I had been goofing off the whole afternoon. And then it's 9 o'clock. Oh, shoot, I have a big test tomorrow. So I'd be on the floor of my room doing my homework or studying for something. And my dad would come around, and he'd always say goodnight to all the kids before he went to bed, because he got up very early. And when he'd see me studying, way to go, Dee Dee. And he would start this four-line poem by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow that he once wrote out for me. And he drew, my dad's a very good artist, so he drew this candle glowing in the night with wax dripping down as if it had been glowing for hours. And I remember he gave that to me, I think, when I was in eighth grade. And that poem on it, it's, the heights by great men reached and kept were not attained by sudden flight, but they, while their companions slept, were toiling upwards in the night. So then throughout high school, all the way through senior year, when he would see me up late studying, again, he was very proud of me, and I wasn't <laughs> much to be proud of. But when he'd see me studying, he would go by and say, Night-night, Dee Dee, the heights by great men. Sometimes it was just the line, and sometimes I would finish the poem, sometimes it was a whole thing, but that was our little thing, and I knew he was proud of me. I forgot to mention I wanted to throw in something about exuberant enthusiasm, because we would look forward to him coming home from work, but I wanted to temper that by saying we didn't always, there was also fear sometimes. Like <laughs> when you heard his footsteps coming up the stairs, you're like, oh no, I'm about to get in big trouble. So if you were a student, you're like, get your books out and start studying really quickly. Or when we were kids and he had told us, okay, I want the room clean by the time I come up. Did we clean the room? No, we were just goofing off and playing and then we'd hear the footsteps. Oh, 
oh no, and try and clean up, and it's too late. Line up, bend over, spank, spank, spank down the line. Um, so it wasn't always fun. There was, there was fear, too. Um, OK, but those, those are the, just the fun and the enthusiasm and the love and the affection. Another thing I want to talk about was I summed it up by saying reverence for people, which taps in exactly to what Megan said of her second point, this generous spirit of service and seeing the way my dad cared about other people. And first and foremost was my mom. And as a kid, I saw it. It was very tangible things. So I remember once being home from school. I probably was sick and not skipping, but I was home from school. And I was sitting in my mom's office at home where her desk was. And this must have been before caller ID. But the phone rang at, let's say, 12.05. And my mom picked up, oh, just a minute, that's daddy. Hi, daddy. And then they just talked. It was maybe a two-minute conversation. Then she put the phone down. I said, how did you know that was daddy? He calls me every day at 12.05 on his way walking home from Mass. Wow. So that was just realizing I learned a lot from that of they have this little this three-minute phone call every day. So that was kind of nice to see. And then when I got to high school, it transitioned to flowers on Fridays. He worked downtown. He needed to go to the downtown flower mart, and he'd bring home a bouquet of flowers every Friday for my mom. And then when I moved away, when I moved to the East Coast, I discovered that it was now Sunday morning, bacon and Diet Coke, breakfast in bed. So while my dad cooked the Sunday breakfast every week, and while he was doing the pancakes and the scrambled eggs, he brought up to my mom the newspaper, a plate of bacon, and a Diet Coke. Don't be scandalized about the Diet Coke. It's my mom's version of coffee. So, and my mom said, I love, it never gets old. It never gets old. So those are just those, those very concrete ways of, of regularly showing affection for my mom. But I would also this, this Reverence, I, I think reverence is a good word, this reverence for other people, because it really was an esteem and a respect for other people, especially those who, who are weaker or might otherwise pass unnoticed, like the elderly. My dad really had a heart for older people. We called our grandparents every single weekend. And as a kid, it was I, we loved our grandparents. But a phone call when you're a kid calling your grandparents, what do you even talk about? But it, it wasn't didn't so much matter as it's fun for my child. It was, OK, your turn to talk to grandpa. Uh, we visited elderly neighbors regularly with my parents. And then they would encourage us to go, go say hi to Mrs. Mallory. Go down and play piano for her. We visited nursing homes a lot as a family. Both my mom and my dad would take us to visit nursing homes. Um, I remember he would sometimes take us to his office on a Saturday, I think probably to give my mom a break. And he'd set us up in a room to color or read a book or whatever. And then we'd go to noon mass downtown. and this downtown LA urban church. It's not even a church. It's a room in a big office building. And we'd always take the priest out to lunch. OK, we're going to take Father Calling out to lunch. We're kind of like, OK, we're going to take Father Calling out to lunch. But I think it, my dad just had a sense of this man has given his life to God, and his parishioners are homeless people in downtown LA. We're taking this man out to lunch. So it was this care for people. Um, I remember being at kind of a family reunion on my mom's side of the family, and her aunt was there, so my great aunt. Older, not very talkative. And I sat down with my dad with my fried chicken. He said, Ginny, go over and tell Aunt Martha. She my name's Ginny Bowles. I'm Julia's daughter. You go over and talk to her. So he, he would set us, you know, set us on course, go talk to this person, or he would model it. And then people who might be overlooked, like I remember Several times he brought home for dinner one of the lawyers in his firm who was blind. 
And so he said, okay, Mr. Grignon's coming over for dinner. So he just, he had that heart and that eye for people who might otherwise not have, might not have as easy a time making friends. Um, he also, he would say, okay, we're going to offer up the decade of the rosary for so-and-so's mother who's sick. So that so-and-so is the lady who delivered mail to his law firm. I mean, my dad was a partner. He knows the lady who delivers the mail, and he knows that her mother is sick. He just had this, um, his, this really authentic care for people. Um, and also a very authentic interest in people, especially interest in people's skills and in people's backgrounds. Like I remember we were on a road trip, and the car had th something was wrong with the engine, so we pulled over to this random gas station in Arizona, and the guy was had the hood open and was looking at the oil stuff. Which, and my dad's boys and girls, everyone, get out of the car! Look, he's going to teach us how to. Do, he's going to teach us. That. So what is that? That's the oil, that's a dipstick. So my dad didn't know this stuff, but this mechanic did. So this mechanic had a skill that my dad and my boys and girls, everyone, come out and learn. We're going to learn from him. That was totally his. His thing, or the guy who smoked the pig at my grandma's house. Boys and girls, come here. Look at look how he smokes the pig. So just this real interest in other people and the skills they had, and got us to engage as well. Um, and it was definitely something that my dad and my mom were explicit about: is when a bull's kid goes to a party or goes to a picnic, you guys look for the person who is alone. You guys look for someone who doesn't have any friends. Your responsibility as a Bulls kid is to meet the girl who's being excluded. And I want you to reach out to that person. Um, but so, so that was an explicit lesson that my dad passed on to us. And we definitely saw him doing it, even if we didn't really realize he was doing it. And I think it's something very good for girls and for daughters. We, every, every person is vain. But I think girls have maybe a special tendency towards vanity, and also towards popularity, especially a teenage girl. We want to be popular, and we want people to think we're pretty. Um, and so I guess by my dad, by what he valued when we came home from a party was, like with my brothers, did you dance with all the girls? Or with, when we went to the picnic, did you talk to the new girl? So we, that was what was valued and reinforced and praised when we got home from a social setting, which I think is super formative. And because they talk about, OK, a father needs to affirm his daughter so that she knows his love for her is unconditional. It's not based on what she achieves. That's kind of the, the line, the value, which is very true. But I think my dad showed that in the people that he spent time with and the people that he cared with. Because when he went to a social setting, his spirit of service was on. And he wasn't just going to his group of buddies who were easy to talk to. He wasn't just going to the people who made him laugh, or the people, yeah, that was easy. He, he was looking for who can I take care of at this party. So we saw that he valued it in other people, and he taught us to value it. And then the last little point that I wanted to talk about was, and this is true for definitely for both my parents, but for sure for my dad, he just had kind of a big mission in life. And he was raising us to be a part of that mission. It was our country needs you and our and the church needs you like the spread of the kingdom of god needs you so which you knew that's where the high expectations come in you just knew i've got a big mission to fill like my mom and dad are are working on this mission and we've got to be part of this mission um that it wasn't just i want you to be a good kid but no, no the world needs you the country needs you that's why you have to be good is because you're needed 
And that was helpful for us. And we saw it, that takes sacrifice to, to reach that mission in life. And I saw my parents making sacrifices. They started a school. So we, by the time I got to sixth grade, they joined up with some other parents to start a school. And that took a lot of sacrifice, a lot of time, um, a lot of money, and a lot of, like I saw them sacrifice prestige, really, because when we went there, I had seven kids in my high school class, and this is in an area that had very elite and established private schools that could get you into any school you wanted. And my dad also went to an Ivy League school, and they said, you know what, that's not as worth it as this school. So we saw them sacrificing prestige for the sake of something they thought was better. Um, my dad was able to be very generous with his money. Um, he had that ability, and we saw him giving, and he said, this is worth giving for, because it's important. Also, even um, just his own formation, his own spiritual formation, like he went to a formation talk every week um, and an evening of recollection every month. Like he took that time from his work and from his family because that was important. Like he, this was a good thing. And when we started to get to high school and we wanted to participate in some of those things, even if it meant like maybe missing Sunday breakfast, but if we wanted to do it, he said, yeah, that's a good thing, do it. So he encouraged us to be, um, I, think, I think it was just kind of the family ethos is there's a big mission and you guys are, you're, that's your calling is go fill that big mission, which is an inspiring, to know that you're needed is a very inspiring way for you to want to, um, I don't know, acquire virtue and learn to do good things. So I wanted to wrap up. I know if my dad was here, he'd want me to give these plugs. So I'm giving you the plugs on behalf of my dad. Um, he would say, Read these two books. Um, he loves the book Portrait of Thomas More, Portrait of Courage. He read that book many times. He found it a great book to, to see how to be a father with a very demanding professional job. Thomas More's Portrait of Courage by Jerry Wegemer is the author. He loved that book. He loves any book by Jim Stenson. That Jim Stenson wrote a whole bunch of parenting books, and my dad, that's kind of his gospel, and it was especially when he was a new young dad. Um, my dad's a big proponent of family enrichment, which I know Oakcrest offers. I'm sure you guys have heard of it, but my dad really set, thinks that that helped him a lot as a father. And then he also just recently, some dads in the Los Angeles area have been putting together a podcast called The Dad Project. The Dad Project. And so um, just some really awesome, sensible, on-fire dads are just contributing these podcasts that my dad has found helpful and good. So those, I think, would be his little plugs. So I made it, because I know when I talked to him, I said, did you tell him about it? And I can say, yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> so.